Well, welcome to week two of the Fight of Your Life, uh, a, a series where we're talking about uh, some things that we don't always have words to describe what's happening, but I think if we're uh, honest with ourselves, we all feel it, right? And so what we're talking about this series really is uh, how do you deal with the, the conflict and the fight, not really necessarily out there, though often we can tend to blame the out there for the in here problems, but how do we deal with the in here? How do we deal with those inner turmoils, those inner wrestles, those, those thoughts, those things that just seem to not take you where you want to go? See, the Bible depicts life for each of us, not as a, a playground full of fun all the time, but the reality is it's a battleground. It's a battleground where um, we have an enemy who's trying to take us down, and, and sometimes that enemy is us. Sometimes we are our greatest enemy, and you may not always know how to explain that, but um, thankfully, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 puts to words some of the things that we feel, and I think there's certain professions in this room that, that feel this weight a little bit more than others. Teachers, social workers, uh, healthcare workers, those in ministry, not to exclude anybody, but I think some of those um, careers have an upfront picture of this battle, Here's how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 21, he says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Let's pause right there. How many of you would say this morning that you, you really do want to do Right? You want to have a good relationship with your, with your spouse. You want to have a good relationship with your kids. You want to be a coworker people can count on. You want to be a person that when somebody looks at you, you go, man, that person is one of high character, high integrity, right? I would bet most of us would want that to be true of our life. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, in my inner being, I, I delight to do God's law. I delight to do right. I delight to be this kind of person. But, verse 23 but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. You don't always do the things you want to do, do you? And sometimes you find yourself doing the things that you swore you'd never do. And Paul describes this as this war that is being waged against his mind. And we talked about this last week, that the, the mind and the lies we believe are trying to make us prisoners to sin. And so that's the wrestle that Paul's talking about, the wrestle that you feel when you're not always doing the things you know you ought to be doing. And so we invited you last week, and I want to invite you again this week, to declare war on the version of yourself that you don't want to be. Because sometimes I'm not the best version of myself. Sometimes I say and do things that I know I shouldn't do, and I want to invite you to say, you know what, today I declare that I am not that person. I am standing opposed to my speech. I'm standing opposed to the sin patterns. I'm standing opposed to the things that would not take me where I want to go. I declare war on that because what we said at Easter was that Jesus provided victory for all of us. What this series is about is you and I learning to walk in that victory that Jesus has given us. And if we're not willing to admit we're in a battle, you're never going to win it. So if we're today, we'll say, you know what, I am in the battle, and today I choose to fight, you're one step closer to finding the victory and walking in the victory that Christ has given to you. Last week, we, we said we, this conversation really starts with our mind. 
the things we think, the, the lies we believe about ourselves and, and learning to protect and defend our mind against the lies we believe about others and the lies we believe about God because our, our mind and our thinking is taking us someplace. And we all are um, prone to believe things that are going to take us someplace we don't want to go. And so we challenge you to put some mental TSA in to say, you know what, that's just not true. We're just not going to go there because that's not what God's word declares about them or about me. This week we're going to take it in that next step further because the reality is your thoughts don't often, and I would say rarely, do your thoughts stay just thoughts. They seem to kind of seep out of you be it in word or action, the things you think, and you may have thought, well, I've suppressed that thought. I don't think it very often, but you think that thought long enough, it's going to come out of you. It might be five months. It might be a year. It might be 10 years. Jesus puts it this way in Luke chapter six, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The words you and I speak come from somewhere. And Jesus argues that the things we say come from the deep inner person. We we said last week that the mind and heart are kind of interchangeable terms for the same inner person. He says, what's inside of you, what's deep in your heart is going to come out. And how many of you have ever said something and all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, where did that come from? Right? You're like, you're like shocked that those words left your mouth and you will probably try to defend yourself and be like, no, it's not, I don't know where they came from. That's not what I meant. But like Jesus is going to argue back with you and say, that is what you thought. That did come from you. That did come from within your heart. No, it doesn't mean it was true or right, but it means it was how you truly felt. Another way to, to say this would be uh, our words are windows to our hearts. Our words are windows to our heart. So when you hear somebody having a conversation and, and you see him just cutting her down and, and, and just being mean and berating to her, I don't, I don't see or hear words. What I get is a picture into a heart of a man who doesn't know how to treat his wife. What I get to see is a, is a heart of a man who doesn't treat his wife with dignity or respect. When I hear her talking in self-degrading speech and self-deprecating humor, I, I, I hear the laughs But what I see is a heart that's struggling with some self-identity, that's probably dealing with some guilt and shame because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so as I examine words, sometimes in counseling, I'll kind of see something in the conversation that's not being talked about. And so I'll ask them questions to get there. And I kind of like poke at something and all of a sudden they'll just like blurt something out. And there's like this shocked look on their face. Where'd that come from? It came from deep within your heart and your words are finally being honest with about how you felt. See, words are interesting and um, you know, I, I feel like God has given me a gift to communicate, but with that has also come a curse of communication, right? How many of you, this is an honest series in an honest room, how many of you uh, in the last week have said something that you wish you could take back? Something you had to go apologize for, throw them up there last week, you said, ah, I shouldn't have said that. All right, last couple days, put them back out there. Last couple days. Anybody want to join me in the last 24-hour club? (laughs) All right. See, because last night, minding my own business, reading through my sermon notes, reading the passage, and also just felt this moment of, oh, no. See, earlier in the day, I was hanging out with some friends, and I made a joke that just was across the line. Now the friend was fine, but just was uncalled for. So I stopped reading, pulled out my phone. So I have to preach on the mouth tomorrow. 
and now I owe you an apology. <laughs> I, don't, I don't bring you this word today because this is something I've got figured out. In fact, um, it's probably been one of the bigger lessons of my life that I've had to perpetually learn because um, my mouth was my greatest defense weapon as a child. Um, I, I had learned how to be defensive and keep um, some of the dangers and real dangers of life away from me by my speech, and that hasn't always served me well. I want to have you turn to James chapter 3 and see how James described this tongue, because I would bet I'm not alone in that battle this morning. James chapter 3, verse 3 says this, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and, it, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. As I read these words, I think to myself, well, James isn't very uh, optimistic or helpful here. According to this verse, I've got no hope because no human can tame it. Like, we can tame lions. We can tame any kind of animal, but good luck taming that tongue inside of your mouth. And it's interesting as I read through this because he kind of talks about a couple of different things. He talks about the rudder to the ship that can move. Uh, you know, it's a small rudder that moves a great ship and the, the bit moves the horse. But what I find interesting is his example of a small spark that can set something, a great forest, a fire, because you know one single sentence can change the entire course of your life. You've been promoted. I love you. Will you marry me? Right? These words can devastate us. I'm just not in love anymore. I want a divorce. I want out. I'm sorry, there's no answer for you. We just don't have a cure. They can also cause celebration. It's a boy. It's another boy. It's a... <laughs> Y'all are worried about us. I know, it's all right. Your words have the power to steer your life in a direction. And the question really is, is that a direction that you want to go? So we're going to continue to talk about here, verse 9. He, he sets up this contrast that I think is helpful. It's hopeful for me, and I think it's helpful for us. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. He sets up this tension and says, your tongue, though it is set on fire by hell, also can be set on fire by heaven. With that same tongue that you have the ability to cut somebody down with, you have the same ability to sing the songs we just sang, sang Jesus, miracle worker, promise keeper, right? Like that all comes from the same place. And so you get this tension um, where I, I really find this to be most evident in the, the uh, person of Peter. I resonate a lot with Peter, mostly because Peter says a lot of things that he regrets saying. Um, but when Jesus was being um, 
led into the cross, basically, and on trial, and uh, they're getting ready to go through that whole process. Some people asked Peter if he was a follower of Jesus, and he denied. He said, no, I don't know that man. No, I don't know that man. Like, he just began to curse, and three times he denied Jesus, right? So set on fire by hell. But a short time later, he's standing there at Pentecost, filled by the Holy Spirit, set on fire by heaven, and he preaches a sermon that 2,000 people come to know Jesus, all from the same place. And so uh, what this text begs me to ask the question of us this morning and of myself is this, does my, or do I own my mouth or does it own me? Do I own my, my mouth or does it own me? Another way to say this would be to borrow Peter or Paul, let me get these guys right, James' uh, words to say, are your words steering you in the direction you want your life to go or are they steering you in a direction of a place you would rather not be? Because what you think, and this is why it's so important that you start last week dealing with the lies, because if you believe lies long enough, you're going to start speaking those lies. And not only are you going to speak those lies about yourself, you're going to speak those lies about other people, and that is going to take you somewhere, and it's going to take them somewhere. And so it begs the question, do I own my mouth, or does it own me? As I was wrestling with this, I, I thought, you know, how often does my speech not take me where I want to go? Like, I love my wife. Most of you know my wife. She's, she's awesome. She's like 89% of this 100% relationship, all right? She's, she's great. We love her. I want to grow old with her. I want to laugh with her. I want to, like, laughter is a high quality in our home. We love having a good time. Can you explain to me why at 7.30 at night, I think that comment is going to be helpful can you explain to me why that, that snide remark about whatever is going to get me to where I want to go? But yet, in the moment, it seems like the perfect thing to say until it comes out of my mouth, and then it's not. And before you judge me, you do it too, all right? Why? Well, because sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, our mouth does own us. And it does take us to places we don't want to go. You don't want cold relationships. You don't want to be in an argument of defense of friendship battle. You don't want to be in adversity with your coworkers. But yet the, the backbiting and the gossip and the, and the comments just come so easily. Why? Because there's a fight for your life and you may not have been fighting it. Because there's a war being waged that your, your words will be used as weapons on the ears of people. And we haven't always been fighting it well. And so I say all this not to shame you this morning, but to pull back the veil on the war that you would see that your words matter. The things I say, the things you say really do matter. Paul in the book of Ephesians gives us this challenge. It says this. It says, do not... Let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think there's a verse that's followed me for a long time. It's been this one. And as I read it, I really want there to be like this little clause that says like, except you, Matt. Except that joke, right? Like, and here's the thing. I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. Like, cursing, cussing was never really a problem for me. It just never really came out of my mouth. Like, I split my toenail in half, stubbed it so hard two weeks ago. Didn't swear, right? Like, just not part of my language. But it doesn't mean I'm off the hook because I can do a whole lot of other destructive things with my tongue. And so as I read this, I go, man, there is just no room here. 
What's also interesting is that we have the ability to use our mouths to help ourselves pretty often, right? Make ourselves look good, promote ourselves, do whatever. But Paul challenges us here, and he says, would you use your mouths for what is helpful for building others up? What? According not to our needs, but according to their needs, which means when I'm in conversations, our goal ought to be to meet the need of the person we're talking to, that it may benefit those who listen. Recently, I was playing with my son Jocko down in the basement, and uh, we we bought him these Legos, and uh, we got a great deal of way too many Legos at the thrift store. And uh, they've been a bane of the bottom of my foot ever since. Everybody was parents knows what I'm talking about. So I'm down in the basement. We're, we're building a tower, and I just love playing with him, watching him grow and develop. This was a couple months ago, and so um, he didn't quite understand the concept of building. Like, building was also destruction all at the same time. So every time I would add a block, he would, you know, I'd put one in, and he, he'd run up and take it right down. And I'd put one in, and, he, and he'd take it right down. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get you, right? Like, my hand-eye coordination is way better than yours. I'm going to get more blocks on before you can take them off. And so that just became our game. Then, and he didn't know he was losing this game. He just thought it was fun. I knew I was winning. And I was, I was beating him. And I just kept going and going and going. And, and as I was sitting there and he was taking them off, I just paused and I said, man, isn't this true of life? Like we all kind of have this wall of defense that we've built and it's not always bad because the reality is you're in a fight. You're trying to deal with the, the difficulties of life and you're trying to deal with bad news and you're trying to deal with bad bosses. And so you've kind of built this system of defense that helps you get through life. And as I was playing with Jocko, I realized the world is consistently trying to tear down that wall for you. The lies that you believe, the things you hear in the news, the things you hear in the media, they're not designed to build you up. They really are designed to tear you down. And as I was having these moments with Jocko, I realized that I, I have an opportunity, according to Ephesians 4.29, that I get to build some people up. I get to add value to their life. And as I was continuing to think about it, I thought, man, what if I thought of every conversation like building a wall with my son? Every time I interacted with somebody, I realized that they're in a fight for their life because everybody you come in contact with is fighting something mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically. And I began to walk away and ask myself, man, when I left, did I add something to that person's life? Did I speak words of courage? Did I speak words of joy? Did I speak words of hope? Did I add anything to their spiritual journey? Did I, did I make them feel like God cared about them? Or was I harsh? Was I unthoughtful? Was I inconsiderate? Was I distracted? Was I just rude? Am I going to have to apologize for that later? It just began to sit with me. I have an opportunity every day to add value to somebody's life. And here's the thing. It doesn't mean you don't say hard things because sometimes people have built things on bad foundations. Sometimes you need to speak some truth and you need to correct some things, but just began to think even more. I said, man, when I do that, when I, when I tear something down that is in the wrong place, do I leave the person in a way that they want to build their life up after that? You know what? Matt was right again, and I hate it when he's right. But man, I feel encouraged. I feel encouraged to go be different now. When you walk away from your kids after having corrected them for the same thing for the thousandth time, 
Does your kid walk away inspired to be a better human, to be a better adult, or they just feel like they're an idiot because of how you spoke to them? As I train Jocko, I'm consistently thinking of the words I use and how I use them and the tone I use them because it is shaping this child's mind because of how I use my words. So my question for you is this. Will my words build up or tear down? As you consider conversations, as you consider coworkers, as you consider your friends in the safe spaces, are you adding value to people's life by the words you speak? Because the reality is, on average, we speak about 16,000 words a day. It's a little bit higher for men, a little bit lower for female, or a little bit higher for females, a little bit lower for men. But listen, you laugh, it's not much. It's marginally different. The difference is men use all their words at work with their friends and they've run out of their 16,000 words by the time they get home. And women don't tend to use their words all up front. They tend to save them for later on in the afternoon, right? Later on in the evening when the guys run out. <clears throat> but it doesn't mean he is any more off the hook because he still has 16,000 words to choose and you may have 42,000 words to choose from. I want you to think about it this way. You can use a brick to build a hospital or you can use it to break a window and rob a place. You can use water to solve dehydration, or you can use water to flood a city. You can use a plane to bring aid, or you can bring, use a plane to bring a bomb. Your words are neutral. It is what you do with the 16,000 choices a day that you are given that determines if we will speak life or not. If you came across somebody dying of dehydration, dehydration, and you had 16,000 bottles of water, and you didn't spare one of them for them, what does it say about us? And I don't say this to you, I say this to me. I have the opportunity to come across people who are spiritually and emotionally dehydrated, and I can walk away having added nothing. I've missed an opportunity to speak life. And when I realize what Proverbs says about my words, it takes even more weight. The tongue has the power of life and death. The words we speak have the power to give life or take life. Another way to say this is that your words of life might save someone's life. Your words of life have the power when we speak the hope and name of Jesus to save someone's life. 2013, I was traveling or I was serving in Taiwan as a missionary and um, we pr- practiced street evangelism quite often. We were trying to train new missionaries how to do street evangelism. And so I spent some time praying, and I took a team out to the Boardwalk Pier area right by uh, where we lived. And it was the middle of the day. Um, usually at the middle of the day, you caught some interesting characters um, who weren't working. And so you, you got to have really honest conversations with them. And as we were walking, there was a, a man sitting there with a red hat. And one of the girls in the team said, no, I just, I really feel like I'm supposed to go talk to this guy. And so um, she goes over and asks if she can sit down and starts talking. And um, I, I keep going and I try to find somebody else to talk to. And they, they shut me down super quick. And so I just kind of circled back around. And I, I come back around and they're both just bawling there in the middle of the day, this 60-year-old man just weeping. So I leave him be and I, I keep praying for him and walk around. And probably about 30, 45 minutes later, somewhere in there, um, she comes over to me and she goes, you're never going to believe what happened. I was like, tell me, it looked amazing. He goes, this man had been out here since the morning and had been contemplating suicide all day. 
And he didn't know much about God, but he had heard about God. And so he kind of threw up this prayer and said, God, if you're real, uh, send somebody to prove it. If not, this is the last day I'm going to live. That girl had no idea what the man in the red hat was going through. But she got to speak words of life. And because of that, that man's life is forever changed. And he accepted Christ that day. Your words have the ability to save someone's life. So here's my challenge for you. You should have gotten a Lego on the way and not one as cool as these. You got a smaller one. <laughs> Listen, Jocko let me borrow them. He wasn't going to let me give them away. All right, we're working on generosity, okay? Here, here's what I want you to do with this Lego. I want you to put it where you do the most talking. I want you to put it on your toolbox, on your desk at work, in the kitchen sink. Um, I feel like I personally just need to staple it to my forehead. <laughs> Put it on your cell phone because your words and texting matter too. And I want to give you a challenge. For the next week, I want you to follow Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth, which means no cussing, no rudeness, no gossip, no foul language, no backbiting, no bitterness, no cutting, no lying. And you go, man, only a week? And the rest of you are going, man, a whole week? <laughs> what are you talking about? A week, Yes. Should it be your lifetime? Yes. Will it be your lifetime? Hopefully. But a week of actually doing it is way better than a, week of in, or a lifetime of intending to do it. Here's why this is so important. My life was forever changed because somebody found me in that exact same moment as the man of the red hat, unaware of what I was going through, but just began to speak the words and life of Jesus to me. My prayer is that my words and your words would be the words that are a, a drink of fresh water in a land full of people that are desperate for the hope of Jesus. That you, one conversation at a time, would use the 16,000 choices Jesus gave you to change someone's life for the better. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for speaking truth to us. God, we thank you that what you have spoken over us is true, that we are known, loved, and in your care. God, I come to you today knowing that I need help. I can't do this on my own. My, my tongue gets the best of me many times, and I find myself apologizing often. And God, I pray that you would, you would always keep me in the place of recognizing when I've spoken words not of life. God, I pray over each and every person in here, God, I know what's true for them is that they want a good life. They want a life that leads to freedom and joy and laughter. They desire that. Would you help them, just like you would help me, begin to speak words of life to ourselves, to our spouses, to our children, to our friends, and to a hurting world? We can't do it without you. And so today, God, I surrender my speech to you yet again. And so Jesus, have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.